of knowing. All right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. This is episode 523. Jason Lingren is with me and Matt Powers is with us again. We're basically going to get into soil, the quality of soil, just everything about soil vis-a-vis gardening. Now, there is a huge upturn in people and gardens. You see it all over online, electroculture, soil methods, um, just all everything to do with gardening. And that's a great thing. That's a good thing in the times we're in. Because if you grow some of your own food, you're going to be in a lot better position potentially than other people who are relying wholly on systems that are at the beck and whim of people we don't appreciate too much or corporations we don't appreciate too much. With that, welcome, Jason. And a hot good morning. All right. Welcome, Matt. Hey, thanks for having me. I was just going over your YouTube channel and looking at your microscope work. So we have a lot to get into that. By the way, those are very interesting clips. Where do you want to pick up here? We're going to do everything soil. Where's a good start point? Well, if we're thinking about soil and we're thinking about everything and, and, and the greater audience and everyone's greater need, I think that the most important thing to understand is that we need our soil to be managed and really built by life. It needs to be alive. You know what? I hate to interrupt you, but I forgot to ask you, tell everyone where they can find your work and how they can get a hold of you. By the way, Matt first showed up on episode 439. I apologize, Matt. Can you please lay down where they can find your work and contact you? Absolutely. I'm Matt Powers. I'm an author, educator, farmer, seed saver, citizen scientist, and family guy. And I've got a couple websites. I've got the permaculturestudent.com. That has a bunch of free eBooks, a fun, bunch of free fun courses. And I also have regenerativesoilscience.com. And that one's a lead, lead link. So you just type regenerativesoilscience.com in and it'll turn into my other website. And so that has all my soil science. It has miniature soil courses and has uh, my books. And so you can reach out to me through those websites. You can check out my work on YouTube. I'm on Twitter, uh, permaculture123 on Twitter. And, and yeah, I'm always on there just modeling what we can do with soil, what we can do with permaculture, how to grow amazing food, how to understand our health and our relationship to the natural world in a completely new way. Okay, so we can jump back in. But actually, before we got started, Matt sent us a picture of uh, a daikon damn near the big, the size of his upper leg and a turnip. That was a daikon, wasn't it, Matt? Yes. And a turnip, which is slightly smaller than his head. But anyhow, uh, you can pick up where I interrupted. Sorry about that. Oh, yeah. We got to make sure the soil is alive. And so much of that is it just goes over people's heads because they're like, oh, I want fungi. Oh, I want I want my soil to be fertile and alive. And I've been doing the work to dig down to the individual fungi, the individual bacteria and their families, their functions how they relate to the minerals, because they're actually doing all the biochemistry. And they're the things that are unlocking the highest levels of health, guarding our plants, protecting our plants and nourishing them. So without the life, no matter how many minerals we add, uh, even, even if the, you are adding organic matter compost, if it doesn't have the right life, it'll never be what it could be. Maybe we should jump in like this, like consider someone who's now realizing where the systems in this world are going and they want to start their own garden. Some people are going to have to cut up a lawn maybe to find some space. Other people may be dealing with depleted soil. Where does someone get started if they're just starting clean and they either have a garden that they've been using or they're going to set up a garden? Can we start there to show how you get going to get on the right track? with regard to your soil? Absolutely. All right. So let's say you're just starting out. I've done this so many times. My my wife moved 23 times before she was 12 growing up. And our marriage has been typified by the same thing. I've lived, I think, seven locations in the past 10 years. And we've built amazing soil at every location. We've built food forests and gardens at all these locations. And the first thing we need to do is we need to establish a living soil. And so we need to clear an area. Maybe you need to remove the sod. Maybe you need to uh, break it up uh, because it's hard pan and compacted. 
and you need to add compost in so that you have uh, an actual viable soil going. Because uh, so many of the places that we live currently, uh, the soils have been just scraped away or, or washed away. And so I would get in there, remove that topsoil, remove that sod, mix in some compost, and then plant a cover crop. Everywhere I go, I grow soil first before I grow a garden. And I do it strategically. I've always got the in the back of my mind that at any moment, this whole system could burn down. And it can. We live in the most fragile of systems. Just look at your grid. Just, just look at your water. Just, just look at how you normally are getting things, where the food's coming from. And you'll recognize how fragile this is. So I grow food that is cover crop that's edible. So I'm growing like cow peas in summer. I'm growing, you know, uh, snow peas in winter. I'm growing daikon radish uh, as far into the summer as I can because it get, can get too hot, you know. I'm growing, I'm growing turnips. I'm growing um, a, a lot of my summer uh, cover crops are like amaranth, sorghum, uh, buckwheat. And I, I don't normally eat buckwheat, right? But I know I can if I'm starving and if, if things get crazy. I've also got a food storage, you know, I'm not, not living by the seat of my pants, but I also know that my food storage will run out. And unless I have a living food storage and a, and a seed bank too, I will, oh, I will run out of food and I will, my family will starve and I'm not going to let that happen. The thing is 10 years ago, 12 years ago, my wife and I started on this path and back then people, you know, were, were in permaculture survivalists, were all these different like homesteaders and, 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 and gardening has become a huge focus in that, in that area now, but we all started off being like, well, how do we protect ourselves? How do we establish as fast as possible? And you may need to go out and buy good compost. And that that's a whole different conversation about how to figure out which compost is right. But getting good compost is an essential catalyst. Biome amendments is great. Wormies is great. You might find someone locally who's great uh, wherever you are, but getting good compost or getting a seed of good compost and adding it to your own compost operations so you have the biology that you need and growing it up inside your compost and then using that, all these are options, but we have to first fix the soil and build soil and grow soil so that we have the momentum to actually grow and take things out of the, of the, of the soil because every every swiss chard every turnip everything you pull out is made of what was in there and came from the air obviously the air has all the carbon oxygen nitrogen and 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 hydrogen that makes up all organic matter so the air actually has everything that makes plants and nitrogen fixing microbes are in all healthy plant hairs all trichomes so if you have biologically inoculated plants, they're going to be able to pull nitrogen and then form protein from the air. So we have to recognize that if we bring in the right plants and do the right cover crops, we'll we'll, we'll get good food. It won't be it won't be the you know the, the year that we have everything that we possibly could want in a garden, but we'll have food and we'll build soil. Why are you calling it a cover? I'm sorry. Why? Are, what is a cover crop? What do you mean by cover crop? Okay. 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 So a cover crop is a crop that you put in to protect the soil and to feed the soil. And it just covers your whole field or your whole garden up. So you might go out there and plant the whole thing with a mix of peas, daikon radish, um, uh, cow peas, and all these different things that covers it in a blanket of green plants. And so every inch is covered. The soil is perfectly platted. It's, it's, it's armored. And then they're going to be drawing in the carbon for the carbon dioxide uh, from the air. They're going to be releasing oxygen. They're going to be making sugars and pumping that into the ground, making the microbes go crazy. And then they're going to be forming the structure of the, your soil, actually. Is the idea that the foliage of the plants that you're planting, like would a cover crop, could I define it by saying, all of most of the soil is in the shade under the foliage. Is that the idea? I mean, that's that that's a good that's an important thing to do. Initially, with certain cover crops, it won't be like that, and they'll like meet edge to edge. But it's ten we tend to plant profusely, 
I don't I don't think I've ever heard it described as having things be shaded as 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 required, but it, but you want to because that shade retains the moisture. So cover cropping is a way that we give the soil a rest. We're feeding the soil, we're retaining moisture. We're also terminating it. So you did this early spring cover crop uh, and, and then you're turning it in and you're killing it and turning it in and letting it compost and break down on the soil and then planting in it. Or you're, you're letting the winter frost kill it at the, at, at, when winter arrives. So you do an, uh, a late fall planting and let it grow and grow and grow and then slams into winter. And then it creates like a blanket of decomposition that, that covers the soil, protects the soil. So there's a bunch of different ways that we use cover crops, but they're, they are specifically, they're, they're a group of plants that are used to nourish, replenish, and protect the soil and, and give this in, in old school terms, give the soil a rest. So this is something that so many people on the, in the YouTube shooting from the hip kind of way of doing gardening, they're like, nope, just get your bag compost from the store. And then you, then you get your bag or your, your bottled amendment from the store and then you spray and then, and their food is terrible. And it's, I mean, it's not even really food. I mean, it's, it's basically, uh, bags of water and PK and pesticides that they're eating. And so we really want to spend the time and this could be a season. This might be, oh, early spring, summer and fall. I'm just going to do cover crops. And then you do the three different iterations of cover crop that season. This could be South California. This could be Texas. I'm talking about this could be uh, Missouri too. If you're in Canada, you're going to be like, well, my season's like this, right? And so you could do two of those rather than three. You would do the summer, the early spring, summer, they'd be the same season. And then the late, the, the late summer in, uh, would be when you'd plant the fall. That's just the, the, the cold temperate thing. And so you want to create momentum so that when you do plant, you're not stealing from that bank. Instead, you're ex essentially existing on interest because you've already invested so much in the soil. You've added your, your compost. Hopefully you've added some rock dust. Hopefully you've added you know, uh, some biology, some inoculants when you've added your plants. I use rhizobium on my beans because that's what makes the nodules form. And that's what makes them fix nitrogen at a much higher level. I also spray everything with nitrogen fixing bacteria on their leaves so that their leaves are, are bringing in nitrogen as well. I will terminate things and then water an EM, effective microbes, so they break down in situ faster and also lowers the pH. So, and it brings in more energy, it's more reductive. And so it creates, it, it's faster and, and it gives it the life that it needs for the endophytes present. Uh, the, the endophytes are the, the microbes that live inside plants and protect plants. Are those things people, I'm, I'm sorry, I got to get a word in edgewise so people can, you know, cause I'm, th I'm thinking of this, like someone listening that wants to apply this. So the things that you've mentioned, are those things that people can just go buy? Yeah. So effective microbes, EM1, you're going to want to buy the EM1 Pro and then scale it up. And so it's, it, it, Terraganic sells us, EM Rose sells us, and it's something you could make at home easily as well. But what it is, is it's beer yeast, Saccharomyces cerevisiae, which is actually an endophyte living in all plants. We wonder why wine and alcohol naturally happen. Well, it's because the microbe, that yeast, is already naturally on the surface of all those plants and inside almost every plant tested. So nature had this built in. And when we sterilize our seeds, when we sterilize our fields with fungicide, <laughs> we kill the actual partners of our plants and our own health. So we really just need to do things more naturally and everything will work out at such a higher level. We basically just kind of like got in our own way over the past 100, 150 years. And we, we weren't even able to notice that there were microbes inside plants until someone had been doing organic long enough for these things to come back. How long do you feel like it takes? To, like if you had completely terrible, depleted soil, can you get that in shape within a season? Yeah, I'm doing it now. And, and it's, it's really remarkable. It does take investment, though. 
I mean, I we I you have to buy the rock dust. You 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 either have to make or buy the compost. You either have to make or buy you know the biofertilizers. I do a mix of everything. So I've got twenty gallons of EM, and you you're gonna be like, wait a second, twenty gallons? It's a liter of this is like thirty dollars. Yeah, and that's why I make it myself, and you can too. The recipes are in my books. It's simple. It's beer yeast. It's lacto, uh, lactic acid bacteria. So lactobacillus. And that's that's in all your water kefir. So suddenly you're like, wait a second, water kefir has yeast too, Matt. So your lab and your yeast are in your water kefir. We're already to a great start. And then it's Rhodosodomonas palustris, which is a purple non-sulfur bacteria, which feeds four different ways. It's a fantastic microbe that's actually one of the most studied microbes in the world. And you can get it cheaply instead. If you went and looked that microbe up right now, you probably will find it for $500. But if, you are, if, if you've spent all the years that I did researching this, you'll find that the, uh, the aquaculture stores online, the aquaponics stores, um, all the fish stores, the aquarium stores, all of them are going to have purple non-sulfur bacteria, Rhodosodomonas palustris for cheap. And so you can get pure cultures of that, mix that with your water kefir, add molasses, and suddenly you have your own EM. And these microbes are going to transform your composting experience. They're not, not only that, they're going to transform your soil and your plants. So it is some learning. There are, there's some vocabulary that I, that I, without even thinking, throw out there, obviously, right? But this science, this science of soil is so exciting. The reason it's taken off so much, the reason why you know, there's thousands of students that I have interested in this uh, is because it is our health. It is the future of our, of our, all of our health. It's the, the health of our food, the nutrient density of our foods. It's the immunity of our foods. And it's actually our own immunity because all of our food is digested by microbes inside of our gut, just like it's digested for, for the plants in their roots and inside with the endophytes. So what's, what, what we've discovered with plants and what I've been able to map out is plant digestion is not just akin to ours in the way that it works with microbes actually making things bioavailable internally. They're the same microbes. There's a huge overlap. And so when we're eating the plants, the microbes in our gut that digest the food, a lot of them are already on the surface or inside the plant. And when we change the pH and inside of our gut, and we break things down and create surface area, then their roles change. So if you think about E. coli, everyone's like, E. coli is bad, Matt. What are you talking about E. coli? And E. coli is actually millions of species. Only a handful are pathogenic. They're in your gut right now. They're in all the plants right now. And they're in all the soils and in all the compost. They're actually, they, 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 they're the, the most common microbe on earth. They constitute one-fifth of all, everything tested. So everything's covered with E. coli. Everything's infused with E. coli. And that means it's actually the feedback loop. So the E. coli in our gut is learning about the gut situation. And then it comes out and then it, hopefully it goes into a composting situation. And then the composting situation, the E. coli is learning there. And then it goes into the soil and then it's in the plant and then it's back into our gut. It's the same lineage of microbiology. And saying E. coli is like saying mammal. It's like, yeah, watch out for the shark, but be, don't have to, you don't have to worry about the squirrel. That's E. coli. E. coli, you don't have to worry about the squirrels. We just have those pathogens and there's a handful of them and we know what causes it. It's pathogenic conditions cause E. coli, which is always there to drop and then take up the genes through horizontal gene transfer from the genetic just debris all around us. 20 to 40% of everything around us is actually fragments of DNA. It takes millions of years for DNA to break down. And so that's why it takes days for us to use caustic chemicals to break DNA down to sequence it. And sometimes even then it doesn't work. DNA is very resistant, very resistant. And so they're taking up from the environment all these different past expressions of life. So when we are in the middle of the desert, and they're practicing permaculture and rejuvenating the desert dead soil. There's, I'm talking about Neil Speckman right now, my friend, who was in Saudi Arabia on 70 hectares using just rainwater, 
nothing added to the soil. They will see things that no one's seen in generations. Mushrooms will show up, bacteria, soil will start to form. And they're like, this is all not, no one in Saudi Arabia has seen any of this. Where is this coming from? The genes were always there. The genes never left. Is it super sandy? Like, is the soil very poor quality there? It's white sand. And they turned it into rolling, beautiful fields of grasses. And it, when you see this, and I encourage everyone to check out the Albeda Project. Neil is wild. I, I would never do what Neil does. We, Neil goes to the most dangerous places on earth and is like, hey, can I do something here? And they're always like, oh, okay, if you survive. Um, and so he's like worked in Eritrea. Like he's done all these crazy things. I wouldn't do that. But he went into this area, Albeda Project. You can look it up online. It shows you it went from dry, white, desert, blasted. And it's sandy, but it's rocky sandy. It's like blasted, blight earth. And it it looks so incredible. Every time I rewatch the video, I cry. It stirs my heart in such a deep way. And it's like, this is what it actually looked like when the Fertile Crescent was around. This is what it actually looked like at the beginning of what we know it was history. You know what I mean? And it's like, this is what, and this was what, three years? Three years of them setting up earthworks, planting drought-resistant trees in swales and doing nothing but watering with rainwater. Nothing else, no amendments, no fertilizers, no bringing in water, no drilling. Just that, and it's paradise. And what kind of maintenance do they have to do so it doesn't turn back into desert? They don't have to do maintenance. That's the whole exact point. So, so permaculture and setting things up properly creates a momentum. And when you do that with your soil, with regenerative soil, which is, you know, the, the book I wrote, it's based on all the permaculture principles. I simply took the lens of permaculture and applied it to the soil and got out of the way and let it speak. And the story that the world has to tell us is beyond imagination. The world we live in, we would be humbled on a daily basis if we just lived in the world that's possible. We'd live in awe because plants, animals, the cycles, weather, all these things have these incredible, incredible transformative powers when they're in alignment. And so it's really about bringing things back to what's natural, realigning the, the bioregion so that, I mean, you go to the Pacific Northwest, people are like, oh, why is there nothing poisonous, no dangerous animals across the mountains? There's no poison oak, there's no poison ivy, there's no, no poison spiders. And they're like, and, and then all the plants are like, sim there's, all, there's only these, these desirable plants. It's like, yeah, this is all tailored. This was selected for and, and guided to this state. And we can do that again with everything. So that's really, that's really what's possible. And that's what I invite people to do. Try out the things that I teach, test them. And you'll see by what happens, you'll see by the results and, and through the lenses of nature, you'll get that confidence and that feedback that you're doing the right thing. And so that's what I rely upon in my work. And that's why it's gone so well, because it's a really about letting people find that truth through a relationship with nature, independent of me. And I'm just, I'm just a conduit, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I, I, and I'm, and that's why I'm, you know, the permaculture student series is what I wrote because I'm a student too. You know, every time I've heard you uh, mention this stuff, it makes me think of the factory farming that it really wouldn't be that much effort for these major corporations to actually do things in a way that's extremely healthy and beneficial, not just for us, but for them. Would you say that's true? And I, and, and they do, they have different food. They, they, they have private farms and gardens. Like, why was the first thing that Oprah did was like, oh, Oprah buys a huge part of Hawaii and establishes her own, like, gigantic farm so that she doesn't have to eat anyone else's food. Dave Asprey, why does he have his own permaculture site for his food? People, they're doing this. Um, I, I, when, when Obama was in office, I, I had heard that he was getting brought food and that was just special for him separate from everyone else's food. 
So they know perfectly well what's wrong with the food, it appears. At least to me, that's how it appears. And what they're doing, going back to our early conversation before we started about the past, they've always gone back and erased sections of the past that allow us to be empowered, that allow us to be healthy. And they, meaning the people who have designed our education system, if you look up Ingalls principles for secondary education, it's the propedeutic function. You only show, you know, the top 10% of the population, the actual science, the actual math. And it's, it's awful. It's, 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 it's infuriating on such a deep level because they think we're stupid. And we all see that the emperor wears no clothes, especially now. But for those of us, and I, I, I'm, I in, in this podcast, I'm seeking to the choir here, I can tell. We've all known about this for over 10 years, maybe over 20 years, right? Yeah. That this stuff is going on. And, and, and now we're getting organized. We're communicating. People are being able to get the, get the confirmation that they needed, that their insects, instincts were correct the whole time. I mean, I, uh, you know, you know how it is to be married, right? So your wife believes you part of the time and the other half of the time, she's like, I don't know, you know? And so it is wild 10, 15 years now into those kind of relations that I've been married for 19 years now. To have your spouse be like, oh my gosh, I remember you talking about this. And I bet you so many people in your audience are like, that's me. Because we all knew something was going on. Something's not right here. And now we know exactly what's going on. <laughs> There's a lot at almost every turn. But we also, at the same time, have a pathway out. We can grow our own food. We can pull ourselves off of their grid. We can start saving seed. We can start our, 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 our uh, home food storage, our, 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 um, our food storage uh is is so key. I that's something that's not emphasized enough in permaculture. I think with your audience, you guys covered a lot, but we need to be self reliant as much as possible, and then we need as a community to be self reliant up to the point that we can't, and then we can take things from outside of the community. But that should at that point only be like frivolity, <laughs> things we can't, we don't really need. Um, we shouldn't de- be dependent on things outside of our bioregion as much as possible. And the system you see in like the EU where they're like, and the apples for France come from Greece. And then the oranges in Spain will go to Germany. And, you know what I mean? Or the milk, you can't have your country's own milk. They've designed it so that everyone can't help each other. You can't be a good neighbor. You can't be part of a, a local community where like, no, this is our this is our squash and it makes the best pumpkin pie. Intentional dependency is what you're saying. Absolutely. Because our, our, our ancestors, our great grandparents lived in counties where they would have county fairs and they would have county heirloom varieties that everyone knew. Like, oh man, Missouri County, like Springfield, they are known for the best melons or, or the best squash or, or what have you. And We've lost our tradition. We've lost our way. And that's a huge part of the madness we see is we're disconnected from the earth. We're disconnected from the natural patterns of the way humans felt grounded socially and and, and physically. This is like a post-World War II thing, I would say, with the rise of supermarkets and all that. And the demand started becoming very specialized in that regard. Because before that, you had a lot of people still being very agrarian and taking care of themselves. And then once the war effort turned everything into an industry, that kind of shifted everything. And then we as a country just never shifted back. And through Operation Paperclip, we took on so many of the Nazi scientists that oh. so much of the Germanic way of doing things was adopted. Well, they they got the whole control thing down if, if they hadn't been so megalomaniac about everything. It, I mean, that, that could have been used for a very positive thing. Well, I mean, you look at recording, they had so many... We're still using the microphones they created in all recordings. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I bought myself a Neumann. Oh, German engineering. I dream of the such things. A Royer is like my like secondary like choice, but oh my gosh, you have a Neumann. Holy cow. Well, <gasps> not one of the big, big, big ones. I, I only got the TLM 103, but still. 
so cool. But yeah, no, there's definitely things to be gained from everyone. There's There's been breakthroughs in different cultures all over the world. But I think that the energy of taking on some of those people through Operation Paperclip was a terrible, terrible, terrible thing. Like one of those Nazi scientists who was known to be like straight up evil became part primary part of the NASA program. Oh, yeah. That would be Mr. Werner von Braun. Yeah. But he had, so, I forget how much of his team came with him. I've seen pictures of it. So think about that. This mentality then got integrated into a major United States organization. Yeah. And and people are like, wait, how does this relate to farming? Um, if we think about Rudolf Steiner, he was, felt the pressure to go out and investigate all the, the remaining folk farming because it was disappearing. Why? Because Germany was at the forefront in this time period. Of course, we were just talking about their ability to innovate. They were at the forefront of chemical and mechanical ag. So all the industrialization, they were they were doing it. And so we took on that same industrialization ethic and then kept going with it. So, all right, well, we should probably get it back to the farming thing because I could definitely uh, <laughs> steer us into the, into the music thing and drive Crow and a lot, most people insane because they don't know what I'm talking about. But as far as major corporations, companies like Monsanto and things like that, do they do anything positive or helpful or are they literally just stripping the soil year after year after year and this is what's gotten us to the point where the nutrition and, and just mainstream food, stuff you might buy in Walmart or something like that, it's pretty pretty bad at this point, isn't it? Yeah, it's awful. So the food in the stores is nutrient deficient to, to the point of being, some in some cases, 90% de- like depleted of the original nutrients. And there are studies, 50-year-long studies, that show that, especially dairy, it, it and and remember, dairy is the one where they're using the like the the flexible tubing on all these giant operations that are having the plastics go into the warm milk, right? And so we went from super nutritious dairy to completely depleted ten percent of the value. You needed to drink ten cups of milk to get one cup of milk, right? Now again, is this the same problem that happened around World War II, the World War II era? where it would be local dairy farms and then they industrialized it? Is, is this just a, yet another example of that same same thing? The, the human tendency to cut corners, like they made the blue milk and all that stuff. And that's why they did um, the jungle, the book, the jungle. And then they started having um, actual regulations around food. Totally. Unless these people are held accountable, they'll just continue. I mean, I think of the uh, the, radi- the radon girls, right? They, they literally had them painting themselves with radioactive material until their yep. jaws melted away and their teeth fell out. The watches, in case anybody doesn't know what we're talking about, painting the dials on the watches that would glow in the dark. Yeah, and then they encouraged them to use it as makeup and it killed them all. And they knew it. The scientists knew they were killing these girls and they proved it in, in, in the court of law back in the day. And so we, we, we have this problem, this 1984 problem, where we forget perennially how things really are. And how things like if we let control slip away from our hands um, and, and, and control, meaning the ability for us to verify things, the ability for it to be transparent, to be able to truly vote with our dollars um, and, and also to be able to grow it ourselves and to, to not have government oversight. I mean, the, the idea that I can't grow food without someone from the government coming in anytime they want and inspecting my fields, walking onto my property, walking into my barn, going through my equipment. And in in some cases, they, they're allowed to walk right into your house. And it's that's not America. <laughs> that's not freedom. Are you talking because you do commercial stuff or just because you have a farm in general? No, if you decide that you want to sell your seed or anything food-wise, you give up your, your rights of privacy in America. And that's not right. We have the right to privacy that, that is in the Bill of Rights. We don't abrogate that just because we decide to um, be a farmer. All the founding fathers were farmers, fully understood farming, seed saving, and all of that. So that bothers me. That's, that's the number one reason why I haven't been growing seed commercially in recent years. Because I don't feel... I, I don't want to give up my right to privacy. That's, you know, that's what's coming. 
this is the big trial of our time. And I know where you're at um, as a person who lives out in the natural world, the new monetary system, which people, I don't think people realize the Fed now, one of the ways it's, this is July. So apparently it's going on. One of the ways I heard it described, and I've heard it described a few different ways is now every time you use a card or some non-cash form of money, it's going straight to be put on the ledger at the central bank and then paid out. Uh, I know people might describe that differently, but we're already here. Uh, Everything you buy right now, and it probably has been for quite some time, but on open, out in the open is being clocked. Uh, whether you want to call it the blockchain or anything else. And what we know about data now is it's fed to AI. Anyhow, I mean, what would you add, Matt? That's really what everything we're talking about here is in preparation of preparing to separate ourselves from such systems, isn't it? Yeah. If you guys have ever read the book Penultimate Truth by Philip K. Dick, I have been kind of holding on to that in my head and heart for over 20 years. And and the thing is, most people read 1984, they read Brave New World. Most people don't read player piano and they should. But penultimate truth is probably the scariest one. Um, or we, I mean, we is also probably the most important one to guess because <laughs> the procedure is the VAX, right? Like it's it's all in there. It's literally all in there. It's a lobotomy. So um Check out We. It's what 1984 was actually based on. And 1984 is kind compared to We. And We was written by someone who was under the rule of Stalin and got uh, kicked out of Russia for writing it. They were going to kill him. But he wrote Stalin personally and he said, let me leave. Like, it, he, he, was a, he literally joked to Stalin and Stalin laughed and let him go. So We, if you haven't read it, read it. But the penultimate truth is what we're dealing with right now. So the penultimate truth is about a world that's post-World War III, where the elites lied to everyone and faked the world using ho- faked the World War using ho- Hollywood to convince everyone to go underground and live in bunkers underground and produce um, weapons for the war and uh, for the bots, the um, AI-controlled uh, machines, the mechs, essentially, to fight the war for us. So all the common people are buried underground in these factories living under military law and they're not allowed to come to the surface because they're told that it's all radioactive and there's patrolling um, armies of machines and they are patrolling but they're their own machines their own government machines that are actually pretending to be foreigners keeping the people underground and what happens is someone figures out that hey the rich people established an entire system of gardens and estates all over the earth and all the rich people are in Hollywood or are politicians or the military. And they control the entire world and, and all the populations are underground. And one of the guys feels guilty about it. And he decides to like reach out and let the people underground know that they're underground. And what's so scary about the book is you think it's going to go great. And you're like, oh my gosh, he's freeing these people. They're finding out the truth that they've been buried underground, that the world is not radioactive, that there's never been a world war. And it's all been faked to to cheat us of our, our freedoms. And they realize, like, at this point where they're, like, at the cusp of making this all happen, that the guy, the rich guy, who the political guy, who betrayed the whole political class is actually still the enemy of the people. And he, like, re- realizes that they will, they will never be. <laughs> so it's it's... It's it's wild. Um, so it's a really good book. Um, but it also it also really raises the question. And then Simulacra was also written by Philip K. Dick about having a president that is an actor that fills in the role of president. Oh, that would never happen. Yeah. No, no, we wouldn't have an actor <laughs> that looks sort of like the former president or former vice president just show up and then pretend to be president. No, we wouldn't have that right now. In one of Philip K. Dick's things, like I think it's Radio Free Album, I don't remember which one it is, uh, they lay down the story that the government knocks off very popular writers. I think Stephen King is maybe used as the example. And then they keep writing and publishing under that name. And what you just described, I mean, look, when I was in, I was still working in corporate America in 2007, I'm going to guess. 
it was about a year before I walked away and I had to go up to Camp Pendleton, which is, I think, one of the biggest military bases in the country. It's huge. Uh, it's a Marine Corps base. Actually, I did training when I was in the Marine Corps. I did combat training there and a few other things. We went up for to talk about solar and construction for this corporation, construction corporation that I was writing business strategy and other things for and making it all digital. That is when I learned, that is the year that I learned that Camp Pendleton is completely self-sufficient. It does not need water and it's in Southern California. The biggest problem in Southern California is always going to be water. Pendleton doesn't care. It has its own energy, even so far as the Del Mar dump. I think it's the Del Mar dump. I hope I get this right. They have control of that and they get all the gas off the dump. So they got food, energy, something like 999 square miles of a game reserve. Uh, My point being is if the entire grid in the Western United States shut down, Camp Pendleton wouldn't care. And that's when I began to realize how serious this is. And, you know, when you describe what you're describing, I think most people roll their eyes and don't think that's ever coming. But I mean, come on, the biggest military base is completely independent of the rest of us, doesn't need our grid, doesn't need anything. Anyhow, that was a lot of words. <laughs> did you catch did you catch last week RFK on Lex Friedman dropping the fact that when there was the assassinate, when there was the fear of the Cuban Missile Crisis, they were going to bring his family down to South Carolina to an underground city that had its own McDonald's. And because he was so young, he thought it was amazing. He was like, there's an underground city with a McDonald's. I want to go to the city. And, his, and, and JFK was like, no, if you leave school, everyone's going to panic. But he just casually dropped the fact that there's an underground city, an entire city in South Carolina. Isn't that related to the idea of continuity of government? But how come no one's like they, they've shown a few of these supposed places where the government would evacuate to and they're in the area you're talking about. But here's an, an honest, open question. Why is nobody asked if they have to go save themselves for continuity of government? Who the hell's left to be governed? It's a, it's a one sided show. And I don't doubt for a second. I mean, we've seen we've actually been shown open access to a few of these places. And by the way, I'm told by people who know things that the whole lore of what's going on under Dulles Airport is true, um, that there's a massive underground thing going there, too. But uh, I mean, really, continuity of government? Well, if that happened, who would be left to be governed? Uh, They're basically just saving themselves from whatever it is they think might happen. Well, they'll just shrug their shoulders and say, oh, there will be survivors. You know, it's gotten to a point, and I know we're getting so far off our our talk, but we're really not because to talk about gardening is the, we're talking about what we need to be doing right now to get away from these systems. But Rick and Morty, which I haven't watched for a long time, has so just so openly said everything that's coming. Even right before COVID hit, they did the face hugger episode and, you know, the face huggers would die and they'd strap them on like a mask that happened just prior or was Actually, I think it was put together just prior to the COVID breakout. But things like the dinosaur episode, which me and Jason just talked about, not only do they tell you dinosaurs are completely fake and they do it pretty much in the open, they do things like Rick wants to, the president needs Rick's help. And the president says, I can't help you, Rick. I can't make you the host of the Academy Awards. And so Rick says, well, then F you, president, I'm not helping you. So the president openly says, okay, fine. You're the host of the Academy Awards. Well, during his hosting of the Academy Awards, he tells Summer everything is always, every second of this is scripted. And then he goes on to say to include that thing, meaning the Will Smith thing. So, I mean, they're basically just confirming everything that's going on. And it's so in the open now that I don't really think it's denial. But anyhow, we've kind of drifted far from the point, but we're getting close to the top of the hour. So, Matt, let's pull it back around. Is there anything you think we need to get in before the top of the hour here? Yeah. And I think that the most important thing to recognize is that there, there is truth, that we, we do live in an incredible world, that the natural systems of this world are a miracle. And when we participate in them, we become greater. We become more human. We unlock our hearts in a way that is denied to us 
in this degenerative system that were initially offered in the, in, in, the, in these cultures that we live in. And it's through this kind of communication, people reaching out to each other. Also, speaking of Philip K. Dick, so many radio, satellite radio, and all these different open voices that are opposition voices, that even uh, the man in the high castle, for instance, they are transmitting truths in the midst of all that chaos, just like we are today. And so I, I feel like we need to plug into nature, not into our devices, and get that feedback loop going because that will help us discern truth. That will make us healthier, and which also helps us discern truth when we're healthier. Uh, and it will and it will give us the security and the nutrition that we need to to handle the hard times and that our families need to thrive. Let me ask you a question before I wrap up hour one. And we've heard this from a number of people. We've heard things like a single acre that is even not wholly dedicated to growing things, but a single acre where there are a number of things growing can easily feed 10 families. We've been told that by people who are doing it. Do you concur? It depends on what they what they're eating and what they're growing, but that's been proven over and over again with families like uh, in Orange County, I can't remember, the Dervais family. I mean, they make an incredible amount of food on, I, th I believe, a quarter of an acre. And they're a large family. And so we do have those examples, but you may be in Alaska, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> My students are all Good over point. the world. Good point. So I always have to put that caveat out there. So if you're in the right climate, you can do crazy things. If you're doing the right technique, you can even go further. Like for instance, in Mexico, people are like, oh, they can grow year round. Sort of. They can, sort of. They've got a rainy season, but there are certain techniques in those kind of climates that actually allow for seven harvests a year, like the Aztec floating garden chinampas. So we have things that defy what we think of as possible through technique, through just working with nature. So it's, it's a combination of those things in your location that allows you to take it to the fullest. All right. Well, we're going to wrap up hour one and it's a big deal. One thing that I found for myself is when I started to get back in tune with nature some years ago, to me, it's a statement of intent to the universe. Every day I claim my God-given rights. Every day I state that anyone who would infringe on those rights cease and desist for all time. I do it every day. And to me, the intent of a thing is important because I'm signaling to the environment in which I exist what my intent is, and my intent is not to be pushed around or owned by systems. But can you quickly lay down where people can find your work one more time as we take a break for hour one? Absolutely. I'm Matt Powers, and you can find my work at thepermaculturestudent.com, www.thepermaculturestudent.com. Or you can use this lead link, regenerativesoil.com, and that'll transform, but just type in regenerativesoil.com and it'll lead you to all my soil science stuff. And actually at the very beginning, when I kept cutting in, because I was concerned that people know where to get these things, if you go to those, to those provisional sites, you can look up everything that was said and know what to do. When we come back, I'm going to ask a few questions because a lot of people are in a city or on the edge of a city. And as an example, compost, they may have no other choice but to go to, unfortunately, a Home Depot and grab a bag of supposed organic compost. I'm going to cover these ideas. But with that, I'm going to bring hour one of episode 523 to a close. Hour one is free to everybody at crow777radio.com. That is C-R-R-O-W-777radio.com. Members know to log in for the full episodes. They get access to all the forums. There are many all the comments under each episode and the two-hour film called Shoot the Moon, covering my telescope work, which has tons of awards at this point. With that, we're going to prep up for hour two, and I'd like to wish each and every one of you a happy, healthy, and higher-minded new era, and I hope to see you logged in over at the website for hour two. There it is, man. Cheers.
enemies of knowing. <laughs>